I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. Here's the fangirls on Jackalope Radio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Fangirl Radio. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me tonight, as always, are my talented cohorts in crime, Rachel Moore. (laughs) Wow. That's the best thing to do. Really, that I don't know <laughs> quite what the hell that was supposed to be, but okay, we'll go with Alien. And also, Ran Willox. Hi. No, no screeching sound effect of death there. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm good. Okay, good. well, thank you. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. And also with me tonight to uh, dish for our Weekend Geek is uh, the lovely and talented Amanda, who is our producer. Yay. 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 So, <laughs> yay, everybody. So, uh, ton- uh, tonight's episode is a special one. Um, we are going to celebrate the career and just amazing talent of the late, great Ray Bradbury. Um, the entire second half of the show is going to be dedicated to him. We're going to talk about his influence on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, literature, just basically everything um, to do with the genre of science fiction, the man touched. And, um, also his influence on our own work and our lives and, and our youth because I, I would hazard to guess that at least one person in this you know one school kid uh, every school kid in this world or at least in the states has read at least one story by Red Bradbury uh, so and his his uh, bibliography is mammoth I can't even begin to t- describe it so without further ado though we have to talk about the week in geek and the one thing i want to talk about and why amanda is on with me tonight because um fellow true blood fan is the fact that true blood is back and we are excited about this are we not amanda we are very very excited like uncontrollably (laughs) excited i got to see eric butt last night what more could anybody want (laughs) <laughs> well, Eric Butt has been a long time coming, but uh, what I am excited about is the fact that that episode, for it, it was better than the entirety of this third, last season, I think. Just I that agree. one episode. I agree. I, sometimes True Blood gets a little ridiculous in its plots and storylines. Like when I found out about the whole fairy thing, I was like, are you... Uh, are you for? I mean, I have nothing against fairies. I like fairies, actually. But <laughs> let, was a fairy. let it be on record that you like fairies. I do. I like well, fairies and unicorns and glitter and stuff like that. But I also like horror stuff. You know, I'm not prejudiced. Well, the thing is, in the books, uh, she's a fairy, but they, they're, you know. 
from the books, I think they're going they're going definitely a different path than the books with it, and they're kind of making her like a super heroine mm. with her little flash hand of Iron Manness that she's got. <laughs> um, but what I liked about this episode was, even though there was like a ton of multiple storylines going on, I mean they were really like rampant with all these different mm-hmm. um, threads that they had woven from the last season. Uh, they were getting them in and out and doing it in a very, you know, straightforward manner. I was impressed because typically True Blood is kind of jumbled. The last season, they really had a hard time, it felt to me, focusing on what they needed to focus on. And this one, bam, bam, bam. And then with the thing with Tara, I didn't see that coming at all, that they were going to go that route with her. Well... I never really liked Tara. I mean, I know that she's like this great part of the show and and they need her. But to me, her character has always been like emo and whiny and and totally crappy. And I was like, when that happened last season, I'm trying not to give anything away. I was kind of happy about it, you know, but I was kind of wondering, (laughs) well, what are they going to do without her whiny ass now? Well, see, that's the thing. We're we're airing on Thursday and this is my spoiler alert for everyone because we're going to be spoiling a lot of stuff tonight. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. But in terms of True Blood, if you watch the show and it's Thursday and you haven't seen it yet and there's HBO to go and on demand and all this other crap out there, there's something wrong. You you should have already seen this by now. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Tara's brains got blown out um, and she was still somehow alive after that happened. I know. I like that that scene where she said, in case you didn't notice, half her brains are hanging. What were they saying? She's like, I don't even think this is going to work. I love Pam. Oh, my God, she stinks. I know. That was great. She was in a Walmart outfit. That looked like oh, it was my grandma would wear. It was horrible. I am wearing a Walmart sweatsuit for you people. It was <laughs> It was so awesome. It Pam was. Is, is once again showing that she is one of the best characters on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, and then I also liked, God, I love you, Eric. I love you so much. You finally grew a pair back. When, when, oh, not not that scene. That's all on its own. That's that's all I can think of. I'm sorry. (laughs) The the scene where um, where he and Bill are cleaning and Bill's head perks up because he senses Suki is in danger. Suki, 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 and he stands up and he's like, and Eric knows it too. And and you're gonna have to beep this, Amanda, because I have to say I'll filter carpet. <laughs> you filter carpet. I love that he just sets up as a fuck sucky with just so much <laughs> venom behind it because of the fact that she spurned both of them and everybody and their brother at this point has been saying fuck sucky mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point because we don't care about her. She's the Buffy of the show. We don't watch the show for her anymore at all. We watch it for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And I also, um, I also Suddenly like that show makes way more sense to me. Oh, it's it's completely not about Sookie. No one watches that show for for <laughs> Sookie. We watch it, it. We watch it for the vampires and the werewolves. The one thing I do have an issue with is the fact that, and some other people have stated this too, but uh, this season it's really, especially with Tara and her. I'm, I'm just going to spoil it. I've already said that there's spoilers, but with her becoming a vampire um, and possibly a, I was hoping she'd be a zombie, but I, there, it's obvious that she's going to be a va- vampire. But um, it's the fact that there is no regular, there are no regular 
really people in this show anymore. All the mortal people have either gotten special powers or they've been vamped. Now, with even with uh, Terry, who uh, was for the longest time, you know, he has all this like post-traumatic stress disorder and everything. But now I'm wondering, with that whole storyline, are they going to make them fire starters or something? Oh crap! Like, I hope not. Those are like God. I, I really they like don't. That, those guys because there's nothing wrong with them. Well, yeah, I, there's, they're I mean, the there's regular wrong, people. But human problems. Well, except for the demon baby, which we don't even know if that's what's the cause of it anymore. If that demon baby or if she's just, you know, crazy because of... The, the lady that started the fire, the ghost. Well, the, the, but remember, they've got the demon baby, supposedly demon baby. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, um, the Cajun hotties demon baby. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, they were still mortal. And now I'm wondering if they're going to... Because I don't think in the books this that whole Terry fire thing has even happened. I'm, I'm like two or three books behind in the Sookie books because I just got way too much crap to read. But that, I think, is uh, something they're doing for the show, which is fine because a lot of people love Terry and they want him more involved with the show. So that's fine. Um, what they've got going on with Lafayette, it looks like he's getting the demon powers, of course, and, and, and all of the shaman stuff. But the thing that everybody and their brother is waiting for is for Christopher Maloney to show up. Yes. <laughs> and with fangs. And I've heard there's nakedness. So, because it's true blood. Nakedness and, on this show? <laughs> not at all. And, oh, and, uh, and then <laughs> Eric, sorry. Sorry. Eric, Eric, but, oh. Yes, it was. Even though they had way too much Eric Butt last season, I missed Eric's Butt. I did too. I, think, I waited for months and months. I think everybody did. And I like his sister's style. I'm okay with that. They're not blood. Well, they are way blood sisters and brother. But I was like, HBO is the go place to go for incest. Yes. <laughs> They're hitting on every n nice topic, aren't they? Yeah. Well, you know, Game of Thrones, it's there a couple of ways. And, uh, but. I uh, I really like the episode, and I'm trying to think. Um, I love that that Reverend Steve Newland is oh gay. Gosh. I was getting mad because I was thinking, please don't make Jason gay. Please don't make Jason. Oh gay. no, I don't Your think anything in the world like, could make Jason gay. <laughs> just stop yeah. it right there, and Jessica. I have to say, Jessica is kind of pissing me off. Jessica, okay, okay. I have really to know. ask, and I brought this up to you on Facebook, but. Does anyone else remember the fact that she's supposed to be eternally a virgin mm. and she's out banging everything in the world it's now? So bad. She just, the whole thing that was attractive about her was that she was like innocent, but you know, she was sexy at the same time. And she was right. like trying to be like a regular person, but she was a vampire the way she got turned and everything. And now, like last night, I was watching her and I, I really don't like her character anymore. She was sitting there. They made her a and she was flopping her head around, and she was—it was just terrible. She can't sing; it was just horrible. And and she's, ugh, I don't like her right now. She's she—they've made her into some weird slut, even mm. though it's supposed to hurt every time she has sex, and, and 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 instantly grows back, you know, because of the healing factor thing. So, I thought that was a great tragic, angst-ridden storyline they yeah. could have played out. Mm -hmm. And they've completely forgotten this. And, and uh, I, now they've just made her character another 
horny vampire. I don't like it. Um, I do like Jason. I love the, you know, and I like I told Rachel, uh, I, I interviewed the, the actor who plays Steve Newland months ago. <laughs> you told and me this I, at the time. I mean, this is a I, while ago. Yeah, this was a while because he's he also writes the comic books, mm-hmm. and he's a really he's a massive comic book nerd. He's a big old geek. I love him to death. But I even told him I because the whole thing was even in the comic books. Steve Newland disappeared, and no one knew where he was, and he was wherever he got vamped during the time. But I told him on the during the interview, I said, you know what would be my dream is for them to bring Steve Newland back as a vampire and have him be Russell Eddington's bitch. And he <laughs> laughed and he goes, wouldn't that be awesome? Well, guess what? Guess what? <laughs> I almost can guarantee you that he is going to be Russell Eddington's bitch. And the reason for that is Dennis O'Hare is saying that his boyfriend this season has as good a hair as he does. <laughs> and I, I, God, it will be great to see the two of them just queening it up on the show. I would, I cannot wait. And his his little "I love you" to Jason is just hilarious. That's gonna be good stuff. Oh, because he's he's a great actor too. He's so he sells that character. He sells it. So I'm, you know, as we're squealing about this, I, I absolutely love the fact that Bill and Eric are having to buddy up and fight the. You know, they fight the authority and the authority always wins um, on the show. And, and Christopher Maloney's coming on. He's going to be a complete badass. You can tell from all the things that we've seen. Plus, he's just awesome. And then, uh, I, you know, Amanda caught it and I caught it too in the preview. It looks like Tony Todd is going to be a vampire on True Blood. Tony it looked like Todd. he was. Tony Todd. I saw that. The- Guess what I did? You emailed Tony I Todd. Sure did. I did. I'm waiting to hear back. I want him on the show. I want him on Nightwatch. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's 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 got that voice that melts butter too. So he's gonna make a great vampire. Mm-hmm. So now he's played like serial killer, he's played vampire, he's been a he's been like he and Jeffrey Combs are the two that have played the most aliens in Star Trek at this point. So I think he's played quite a few. So I, I'm excited. This season looks like it's going to be good. Plus, we got Russell Eddington coming back. And that man makes everything better on this show. <laughs> I, I love him. I could watch that scene of him saying, we will eat you and eat your children every, <laughs> over and over again and, and not get <laughs> So, yes, True Blood is back. And like I said, this episode was better than the entire last season. It was. I cannot wait for the next one. It looks like it's going to even be better. Like, it's going to be like, bam. I mean, I know I said I don't like Tara because she's a whiny bitch or whatever, but uh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't talk that much now. I that think that be- she's going to turn into some somebody I'm going to like now, actually, by the way the previews are going. She's not going to be so whiny anymore. I can handle that. <laughs> well, we know that she swings the way Pam swings, mm-hmm. so that's going to probably be some hotness yes, there. Yes. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I, I think the two of them are going to be, you know, angry, pissed off vampire yeah. bitches. I think that's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Oh, I love it. So what I didn't love, and <laughs> um, this, this is sad, and I the 1,700-word review I posted on fangirlmag.com probably... Uh, you know, made this point too is uh, I really didn't like Prometheus. 
and I wouldn't. You know what? I have to. I have to preface it because I'm going to be with you, kind of tearing it apart into little tiny pieces. But I I do want to say that I really enjoyed watching it. I want to say that from the get go. I enjoyed the pretty, and I enjoyed the actors, what they were allowed to do, and um, you know. So I don't want anyone to not see it if they want to see it because it is enjoyable once. But it was after the movie, and we sat there, and I went, I looked at Jess's husband, and I'm like, did we like that movie? He goes, I haven't decided. And I went, oh, that's not a good sign. Well, the awkward silence of the audience <laughs> and the the two people who hesitantly started golf clapping and then stopped, and the fact that we'd been waiting at, at least a year uh, was sort of the clue that, yeah, I don't think we liked it. And then as we started thinking more and more about it over the weekend, and I, I fathomed the, the whole fact that I, I was up for almost 48 straight hours to see this movie <laughs> at a midnight showing because I didn't want to have anything spoiled. I wanted to see it. I'd been waiting so long for it. Fastbender, Numi Rapace, the, you know, Ridley, Ridley. It's the script that kills it. It comes down to the fact, and you know, we, we've talked about, and we will probably continue to talk about all the, the things that did not work in this movie. Right. Because we and, even and tried to retrofit. We spent some time, Justin and I spent some time, and I'm, I'm talking about David, Michael Fassbender's amazing portrayal of yeah. the... Um, and and spo- here here's spoiler alerts galore. We're going yeah. to rip into this. We have no qualms about spoiling this movie. Rin hasn't even seen it yet, and she has stated she doesn't care at this point. This is <laughs> so true. this is true because the directing. If you actually pull it back to the director, it was a well directed movie. Um, there just wasn't any plot to really expose. But a lot of the things that happened happened because of what David. Um, does and because he's an android the things he does need to have very specific motivation he either has they, to he needs to be directed for this to be right done. in one way or another and guy pierce being on the ship happens it still doesn't explain any of his behavior what if the aliens had infected him with some kind of nanobot technology because i was really grasping here i'm thinking this deeply about a ridley scott film yeah everything that happens is nonsensical at that point yeah, don't apologize for the movie either. We That was one thing I was like, no, you know what? I'm not going to make apologies. I'm not going to say, you know, this is why that happened. No, this is really... No, there is no logic to it. My big, my, One of my big problems with this is, I, I, and I was trying to discuss with, discuss with my husband, the main thing that David does that makes absolutely balls out nothing sense is the fact that he infects Holloway. Right. Why? Why does he do that? There's no, no reason. It doesn't make sense. Because I even, the most un- unoffensive thing for it to be would be curiosity, which he's not, he, which the, the kind of curiosity that, that would manifest would put Guy Pierce in direct danger, who he's can supposedly, I, his whole point I, being there is to serve. Can I interject and ask one question, sure. being that I haven't seen it, but I've seen the, the previous four as of the other night. So I, I know from seeing those other four that the other uh, robots, um, uh, Bilbo Baggins and... In home. Ash. Ash and Bishop. Ash particularly, more so than Bishop, but Ash was an older robot too, if you recall, were both sort of 
frighteningly enamored of the aliens and and their their beauty and purity. I think Ash w- was Ash's word. Is there any maybe possibility that that was going on with David? Was he interested in them in that way? Well, here's David the, was one of the first problem with that because I yeah. thought about that too. But here's the basic problem with that: Ash did everything he did because he knew there were aliens there, and his whole purpose for that whole first movie was to make sure that no matter what happened to everyone else, he got the alien back. So he was programmed to consider oh, the alien. But you heard what he you heard what he told Ripley in in a few of those scenes is that he just was marveling at the purity of these of these things. And even Bishop said that he I can't remember the word that he used, but while he was examining something under a microscope, he used a particularly admiring term as well, as well to describe the aliens. Bishop wasn't quite so twisted. Well, but in, in this film, you've got to remember the whole point of this. Well, you and you haven't seen it, but the whole point, it. it turns out, is the fact that Wayland, who is dying, he's hundreds of years, he looks like he's 2,000 years old at this point, but he's not. He's, he's just really, really old, has decided the whole reason he's financed this mission is to see if there are creators can save him from death so and and get a free pass right so so what he you know what david is doing david is doing specifically for wayland and if you see the scenes with the two of them together he even, Wayland even says, this is as close to a son as I'm ever going to get. There's no reason for David to be going against Guy Pierce or Wayland. At one point, he's acting so unlike any android, even if you take into androids that are supposed to, like, gain um, emotional sentience or whatever. He acts so unlike it that I became, and Jessica's husband and I, independently became convinced that he was not an android and that Charlize Theron was and that the whole point of the, the, their interactions was to throw us off. Wouldn't of that, that have been cool? And well, then they rip Michael Fassbender's head off and we're all oh. like, the movie's, <laughs> the movie's over. Nothing As of this moment, nothing makes sense in this movie. <laughs> right, and I even, you know, and, and you know, if Troy was here, he would, he would be agreeing with this. It would have been cooler if Wayland had created a clone of himself instead of him being an android. It would have made more sense. And then had it somehow be, and then this is what my husband, who's who's a, uh, as big a geek as we are, had said was, it would have been even cooler if it had been a clone and somehow that was the first replicant. And right. it would have tied into Blade Runner. But no, he was an android, but for some reason he was an android who was being vindictive being, and, and turning on his own creator for no reason at all. Turning on everybody. Like, there's n- turning there's on everyone. No- and the thing is, there's no character development. You know, I was watching because I wanted to see the um, interview with the writer. I was watching Kevin Smith's um, new Hulu program, the uh, Spoilers. And one thing that they brought up that we are also discussed, so it's not just us, um, his audience brought up that nobody, you can't remember any of their names, anybody but Holloway and David, <laughs> because everybody and, else. And Holloway does. is is not Numi Rapace. No, I don't, <laughs> remember what, I don't remember her name, to be quite honest. And, uh, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, oh, their right. surprise, it, yeah. should have remembered that. But, uh, I mean, that, that just tells you something. We were, you know, I think almost everybody can name everyone an alien. 
you know, or, cool, al- or aliens, you know, aliens. at least yeah. three. That was, I actually did that today at my office. I asked a girl who, who is equally disgusted with the film as I was. I said, by the way, can you name three of the background characters in this? Name right. three of the secondary characters. She couldn't. She got two. Because oh, no. there's, there's just no development. And I think the problem is you took a movie where I just wanted to see some aliens. And, and I have to say, if you're going to watch this movie for the pretty, we saw it in IMAX 3D, and the 3D really did enhance the movie. Um, lots of fun. They didn't do any really big jump-out-at-you stuff. A lot of kind of the Avatar depth um, way of doing 3D. And it was really pretty that way. There's some really cool stuff, but there's almost no aliens in this alien movie. So then you make it a thinker movie, and then... Um, you there's make no it thought. that there's no thought in it. And so half the theater who doesn't get it is going, wow, that movie was really deep and I don't, I didn't understand it. And mm. the half the theater who gets it is going, mm, nobody understands it because it didn't make sense. Well, and it just the lo- there's no logic to how these people react. I don't know where all the time went because yeah. it was a long film and I'm trying to figure out what did we waste all this time on? Uh, the the fact that uh, I, I you know there's so many logic issues with this, and there's also the fact that it's so lost like in the in the way that it's just a bunch of set pieces of weirdness, or hey here's a cool thing but we're never going to follow it up and we can't really answer it because we don't know what we're doing. You know what it kind of felt like? It felt like they were setting up a new trilogy. But they may like it had the mistake of unlike being without making it so it can stand alone as a movie while still having the over arc of the story. And so I would be okay with them setting it up and leaving some uh, some things unanswered, but to leave nothing answered and have no payoff. There's no payoff. What the end of the movie when we finally see the xenomorph, which is supposedly a newly evolved thing, right then. Um, when we see the xenomorph for the first time, I'm like, the movie's ending and I finally get to see an effing alien, really? like. Well, and I didn't even go in for the alien. This And, and the thing with that, that whole thing felt tacked if you, on. If you don't have a plot, you have to give me my aliens. <laughs> well, don't, and I didn't even go for that. I went, I went for... Thing. Give me my alien. Well, or and I... Thereof. Yeah, I mean, something juicy instead of these scientists who don't even act like scientists they act like the stupidest morons in the world the geologist guy who says oh he says this at least twice i love rocks rocks are what i love but yet he wants to get the hell off this new planet that has any rock formations or striations he doesn't (laughs) know and and he's the guy with the maps and he gets lost and and then the whole, I still can't let it go. The whole, he makes his Evo suit into a bong. Oh, my head. <laughs> this sounds really terrible. It is. And I'm not making apologies for it either. I, I refuse yeah. for these people that won't admit that it's bad because well, they... The thing they, is, it's hard. It, the reason is it's hard because... I like Nomi Rapace. She's amazing in the film. I like Michael Fassbender. I like Ridley Scott, you know, and and to watch 
a movie like that seems like a slap in the face to all of them. I don't know how you have so many talented people involved in the movie and come out with what it was. And that's why I went from being like mildly annoyed, like, oh, that was unfulfilling, to be really angry when I saw the um, writer on Kevin Smith's show. I can't even remember his name because Damien... Damien Lindelof. He's written as this in Lost. And he says this... He says this thing where he says... You know, the original script that I was sent to rewrite um, had aliens in it, like, in the first 60 minutes. And um, and it tied in at the end, the new alien movies. And I didn't want to do that. I purposely didn't ma- want to make it tie in. And I no, went, we want to... <laughs> what? I'm sorry. He's like, that's not <laughs> I wanted to see. And I'm like, well, you're the only one. God. And it was kind of funny because they had all just ripped them kind of similarly to us previously where everybody was saying to Kevin Smith, oh, it's really pretty and blah, blah, blah. And he was in the other room watching that. So he's like, you know, everyone has really valid points, but I made the movie I wanted to make. Yeah. <laughs> and and angry. I went from like... Well, and the fact that, oh God, it's just, there's so much wasted potential there. Because once again, we made a better film in our heads watching it than they did and that's that's a disservice to the franchise it's a disservice to the fans it's a disservice to Ridley Scott's career and to have them set this up as a as a trilogy is just stupid I don't know if they did or not that's just how it felt to me well it totally felt that way and 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 he's even said that he's talking about making more in this in in the Prometheus line and I don't want to see it. After how crappy this was, why would I pay you another $15 to go get crapped on? You, you, you made this for the lowest common denominator. This is what I said. And, and I've, I've heard people go, oh. it, it, it's so confusing of a script that it's, it, for, it feeds you like baby food stuff. Yet at the same time, it answers nothing. How is that possible? How did you do that, Damon Lindelof, and not open up a wormhole in the universe? <laughs> well, I think I think we may we probably have gotten our point across. <laughs> I, I only had one last question, and and this is because I mean I've seen films that proper suck before, and you can sometimes you know like a a forensic scientist you can work backwards and find out where it died. Like what part of the pro- what part of the whole filmmaking process? Like where did it just absolutely go wrong? I mean, is is it some? It could be as as early as the script, or it could be during production, or it could be on the editing. You know, when the the uh, a studio can come in when it's being edited and decide to fuck it up. Excuse my language. Um, so where do you guys think that happened? Do you think I think it, it was the rewrite the script? It has to be the script because the because the movie was beautiful. That's why everybody yeah. doesn't want to say it was bad because the movie was lush and gorgeous. But if and the had script that was that bad, why would all these A list people sign on to be in it? To J. work J. with Ridley Abrams, Scott, J.J. Abrams made Lost. It was a phenomenon. Not J.J. Abrams, the other guy. J.J. Yeah, yeah, Abrams is talented. The guy who wrote Lost. Yeah. was the one who pitched Lost to J.J. Abrams because it, it was a show that nobody wanted to do. Oh, and 
he had begged his friend who was an executive because he wanted to work with J.J. Abrams. He was actually a guy who trolled around on the Alias boards and tried to get a writing gig because he wanted to write for Alias. So he thought if I go and meet J.J. Abrams, I can impress him and he'll let me write for Alias. And he got in there and he had to pitch this movie that no one wanted to make. And he threw around some like kind of BS ideas and J.J. Abrams thought it was interesting. And the next thing you know, they have the outline for Lost. Which and was only like, supposed to be a limited run series. So it, and was an all- it was It's kind it was of this like crazy, it's accident. It's kind of this fan fiction writer's well, dream. So then my, my last question then is, if Lindelof came in to rewrite the script, can anybody find the script before it was rewritten and see if maybe it had a, a, a chance to well, not suck? The thing is, those rough, those rough drafts are always rewritten like 80 times. Hmm. But I think well, and he, he worked really close with Ridley with it. And, you know, Ridley Scott obviously liked the script. He hasn't come out to um, address it in the press either way that I know of. He did say there's like 30 minutes of unused, of deleted scenes that they're going to add into a director's cut DVD. <laughs> he does like his director cuts. And, and I have to say that these A-listers came on to work with him. That's yeah. Because the guy is in his 70s. You yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and he is a god of film. I mean, the guy's done more good than he has bad. He took that he took that mess of a script and made a movie that I was like breathless watching, and then afterwards I kind of felt like, wait, what did I just see? You know. So, yeah. but I I I truly enjoyed watching it. So I don't want to say don't go watch it, but at the same time I have to be honest about the story. Right. But well, you know. and I think we've given enough time yeah. to to Prometheus and I want to go on <laughs> I want to go on to good sci-fi and yes. um, and and the good the good fantasy and one of the true gods of that genre who we lost um 6 days ago. And it I, you don't really realize how important these people are to you until you know they're gone. And then it hits you. They've, you know, it's a, they've always been there. Wow, how are we going to fill this void? And I don't know how we're gonna with with this one, which is Ray Bradbury. Um, Ray Bradbury basically grew up a lot of us on sci-fi, and uh, he's he was one of these people. I, I call them word warriors. He fought for the written word and fought for books, literally fought for them. And um, his ideas shaped entire generations of sci-fi authors, fantasy authors, fantasy fans, sci-fi fans. And just, he was one of the greats and he is now gone. And um, I wanted to spend a lot of this episode in tribute to him talking about their his influence on us and uh, Rachel I know he was a big influence on you Ren I know he also was on you so um, I'm going to let Ren go first because I know she has some good stuff Hmm. well I you know Ray Bradbury I was first introduced to his works actually through my grandpa and my grandfather uh, was a huge sci-fi fan and he had a bookshelf in his bedroom of all paperback sci-fi novels and he would let me borrow them one at a time and so this was part of my childhood was going to my grandparents house and borrowing a new sci-fi novel and I got um, I got probably S's for space was my first Bradbury book and uh, I was just absolutely 
captivated by word one. I, I, I devoured the rest of them, and, and since my grandfather passed, I inherited his sci-fi collection, and it's in my house. It's one of my most prized possessions, and I've got a dozen Bradbury books, and they're my favorites in the whole collection. And um, his, his impact on my, oddly enough, visual interpretations of sci-fi is the thing that I remember the most. I mean, it's the written word, but that it's so visceral. His descriptions of places and things, every single short story is vastly different from the one before, and he paints such an incredibly clear picture. You can see it as though you were watching a film. And those images stay with me every single time I've reread, you know, my pile of Bradbury books. I see the same beautiful places and, and people and just spectacularness. He just, he makes me, you know, giddy with, with happy. My, uh, my favorite probably still remains S's for Space. I, 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 I'm drawn to the short stories. I really am. The longer novels are spectacular, but the, the variety and the lushness of the of the um, different worlds he paints in the short stories are, are amazing. There's one in particular that has always stuck with me because not only was it like the rest, you know, um, fun to read and, and, and visually very stimulating, but I thought the story itself was so... I'd never, ever, ever heard anything like this idea. The story is Pillar of Fire, and it's in S's for Space, and it's a short story about the last dead man on Earth. The times have progressed so far to the point where when someone dies, people still die, but they're almost immediately incinerated, and there's no more corpses, and the, the cemeteries are being systematically dug up as well, and everything's being incinerated. And the last dead man is so furious at this idea, so incredibly incensed at the idea that the history of humanity, you know, the, 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 oh, I can't even describe it, but that the, the, really the history, so the, think of another word for history, uh, goes in these cemeteries and, and you're connected to the rest of it through your ancestors and the dead people and the fact that they're all gone makes him so mad <laughs> that he gets up out of his grave determined to go make more corpses. So he goes That's around and he starts crazy. killing people. It's the craziest thing. It's the most spectacular story. It makes me so happy, just the idea. I've never heard anything like it. I've never heard anything like it since. You know, and he's been writing sci-fi. He was born in 1920. The man was born in 1920. He's been writing it for the last 60 or 70 years. So, I mean, that's some groundbreaking ideas. That's some stuff that nobody would ever thought of. Well, and, and that's, the man's was a genius. And, and I want to, um, I actually, we have a caller. And I wanted to get, um, who, caller, can we have your name? Robert Scott Taylor. Robert Scott Taylor. Hey, girls, how are you all doing? Good, darling, how are you? Well, I got in right in the middle of the the talk about the graveyard and the dead people, and I was like, oh, I'm in yes. the right place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Robert, <laughs> well, Robert I, I know that you are, um, you're a fan of the show for sure, and we, we love having you join us tonight, and I know this oh, is a I special... I do it all the time. I mean, I've been waiting for an opportunity to call in, and this is a good <laughs> enough subject, you know, honoring the man, and I well, hate yeah. to see him go. 
Yeah, I think we all did. So um, what, what influence from uh, Bradbury, what, what did he influence in your life? Loving science fiction and horror and just movies. I mean, he loved all of those just as much as we do. And well, and he, he actually worked that love into his stories, which was pretty phenomenal. Man. Yes, he did. And uh, I loved his television show, Ray Bradbury. I loved that. I loved all the movies he wrote for. And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, you guys give bad, Batman a message. I've got my Batman ball cap on right now. <laughs> we will tell Todd <laughs> that you have your ball cap on. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing it for you, buddy. And I hope he's doing better. Aww. I think he is. I think he is. <laughs> well, good. And uh, I remember first Ray Bradbury book that I read was The Martian Chronicles. Oh, that's a good one. Good one. And I loved it. And then when I found out they were making it into a miniseries, I got really excited. And then when when it they finally showed it. There was some parts of it. I'm, I was a little, you know, disappointed that they changed a few things around. But I know back then it was like the 80s. And I guess they had to be a little safer for television back then. Right. It was on network, I believe. Yes. I'm, I'm wanting to say NBC. I think it was NBC because I believe I watched it when it first aired. I think I was like four or five years old. I did too. <laughs> and they, kept, they kept a lot of elements from the book, but they left some out. And they changed it around a little bit. But I still basically enjoyed it. You know, it's interesting to me because, um, and a lot of people actually don't know this, but Fahrenheit... 451 isn't written about censoring books. It's written about the effect television has on readers. And so it's always fascinating to me. Um, Jess and I were actually talking about this the other night, how somebody who was so leery about and so kind of anti-television in a lot of ways used, used television so much and wrote so much for television and for movies. Well, I think that right. why he did that was, and, and if you watch some of the Ray Bradbury Theater, which is some awesome TV, I, I loved, I, I have the set. I found it on DVD, and it's like hard to find now after uh, a year or two. But um, like one episode for sure, uh, sort of, it, he's using television as a way to convey, you need to read Read books, which is right. The Wonderful Death of Dudley Stone with John Saxon. That episode was about a writer who uh, he actually fakes his own death in a way by having uh, a, the, the writer who came to kill him because he was so prolific throw away his unpublished work so they they're they're gone and that was his way of dying and it was a wonderful death because it freed him to be free to be himself and do all the things that he couldn't do but it, he used television as a way to get people to write or go off and you guys have to read and i thought that was really great 
um, and you you mentioned Fahrenheit 451. One thing I found interesting was his short story, uh, Usher 2, which I absolutely mm. loved. It was probably one of my favorite Ray Bradbury theater episodes because Patrick McNee is the man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is is the precursor to Fahrenheit 451. It, it actually, um, he wrote that, I believe, two or three years before Fahrenheit came out. And it was talking about, um, you know, the destruction of books, the burning of the books, and how uh, everything was, you know, even people that had moved to Mars, because I believe it was part of the Martian Chronicle series, um, couldn't get away from the censorship. Yeah, and they couldn't get away from the censorship, so even the censors came to Mars and started uh, relegating how people live there. And this guy's response to that is to rebuild the ho- to actually build the House of Usher, bring people there that are part of this the group that's censoring everyone, and kill them in various and sundry ways, a la Edgar Allan Poe. And as a horror fan and someone who's sickened to death of people trying to tell me what to like and what not to like, I cheered him on. (laughs) You know, the the man lived his whole childhood in the library. Right. And at the movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And he never gave up his love for that his whole life. That's what I found fascinating about him. And it made, it made me not feel so much like a geek for liking stuff like that, too. Well, he, there was a magic like a with that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Be proud to be a geek. I think my favorite, my favorite two um, Bradbury works are kind of dichotomous. I really... Um, the first thing I ever read of his is, of course, my. it's like your first doctor. It's your first Bradbury, and you're going to love it yes. forever. And it was The Illustrated Man. My dad gave me a copy. And um, I loved it. And I thought it was really interesting because he brought in kind of old-school romantic sensibility to sci-fi, even though he dealt with some of the more political aspects in a lot of his stories. But he had that kind of romantic right. feeling. And then... Um, my favorite work of his is Dandelion Wine, which is just a beautiful, lush fantasy where he never really gets that one. I've heard of it, but I've never read it. I read it's, a lot of his short stories, like, oh, the man could write horror, also. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. The Playground. <laughs> I always kind of felt like, um, Burton's they Big Fish was a dandelion wine homage, almost. It had kind of that ethereal, oh, I can see that tall tale to it. Yeah. Even though they're 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 probably not related at all, but that's that's kind of how the book always sort of felt to me. Kind of that twilight in summer, mm-hmm. the getting home before the street lights go off. Did you guys yeah. have to do that when you were kids? Yes, <laughs> but uh, that uh, that was kind of. Um, the feel of it and I always thought it was interesting that somebody who um, wrote kind of this hard edge sci-fi wrote that and I love I, I love the fact that he is um, was that's going to be hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> gosh um, I, I still lo- think of him in the present tense yeah absolutely I, the, well, man, he's- the man will never die no, he won't. That's 
he he is going to live on way longer than any of us. I I feel. Well, it, it, all the young writers he encouraged. I mean, he really practiced. He was so prolific. He really practiced what he preached about. You have to write every day. You know, every just, day. I remember him saying that. Yep. Don't stop writing. And you. you you know, so many writers have come forward now that he's passed away saying the reason that I'm a writer is because I asked him for advice and he told me, uh, right. <laughs> Just know? right. Uh, Just yeah. right. Yeah, because and he said by doing that, you get better at it. Yeah. And he did. <laughs> well, and I have to say the one thing that I loved about, the one thing that really influenced me that he did was Something Wicked This Way Comes. Mm. And... Not just the story, but also the fact that Disney made it into a movie, and it was one of the most dark and twisted Disney films you're ever going to see. It was awesome. And it was awesome. And the best part was the hero was a librarian. Yep. And I, I thought yeah. that was neat. And, just the th- and it also showed that, along with all of his other works, especially like the short stories like The Lake and, and things like that, was how much heart and humanity that he put into his stories and how much of himself that he put in there. Like, Something Wicked This Way Comes, it's so twisted in so many ways, but in the end, it's about a father's love for his son. And and the the Very fact that... So. Yeah, and it just... you Every time you put that in, it still holds up. I mean, some of the, the effects are a little cheesy, but I absolutely love it, and the the whole ending where he's his you know his friend you know nightshade's laying there and he's 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 possibly dead and his dad tells him no no you don't get a boy to come back by crying you 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 play you frolic you know you 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 know yeah. and it, and he got it and it was just that guy you know he made this hero uh an old guy but he was a librarian and he kept dreaming he never lost his youth which was what he thought he needed, but he never lost it. And that was Ray Bradbury in a nutshell. He never lost his youth. Well, I remember Ray Bradbury telling his lifelong friend, Ray Harryhausen, that that we got to make a pact never to lose our youth, always stay young inside. Yeah. And, you know. The first time I went to... First Comic Con I went to, I think must have been two thousand four. It was a late comer, um, but it was one of the most incredible experiences because I actually got to see Ray Bradbury, Ray Harryhausen, and uh, Forrest. Was it Forrest J. Ackerman? Did you say Forrest J. Ackerman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was there. I forget. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm horrible at names. But the three men on the stage together, probably for the last time. I don't recall, but um, and and. We really didn't, I mean, it wasn't your typical type of panel because we didn't, there wasn't this bombarding of questions. In fact, I don't think questions may have even been asked. We just sat the entire room transfixed listening to these three, you know, pillars of science fiction just talk together and reminisce about their lives because they'd known each other for decades and laugh. The amount that they laughed was just incredible and they were all sharp as tacks and hilarious and um just you could tell they were the closest of friends and that their love of of creating these worlds and then reveling in them kept them young um and you can it it, 
it drips off of every every page that you read. It's it's not just the love of people and characters, but even places and things. You know, even some of his shortest short stories are like three or four pages long, but you already care about it within four words. <laughs> right. Well, and and the thing with with those guys, those three, they. They are the magic makers. They were the magic makers. Forrest J. Ackerman influenced me probably out of the three of them. Um, Ackerman was the biggest influence because without him, we would not have a single horror magazine or science fiction magazine out ever. Famous Monsters was the the granddaddy of everything. I made my parents when I was a child buy me that magazine every time (laughs) I would see it. Yeah. And, and, well, and, and Ray Harryhausen is the father of special effects. Yep. Absolutely. And he, he's, the, he's the last one of those three around with us. And, um, you know, he's, we need to cherish these people while we have them. Mm-hmm. I, I, we really do. When Forey went, um, I'm, I actually, a lot of people knew that he was close to going. And um, they actually said, you know what? If you want to send him a message, here's his phone number. Leave a voicemail, and he'll. We'll, we're playing them for him. And I called and thanked the man on the voicemail message because not only for what he did for everyone, and in terms of of horror fans and sci-fi fans and that, but the fact that he actually let me go through his house when I was in in California, uh, and he even gave that open, open invitation to anyone. If you want to come to the Acker Mansion, just call me. I'm in the book. Nice. And that was how amazing he was. And Ray Bradbury was that caliber of a person, too. Mm-hmm. You could go up to him, and if you wanted to ask a question or get a pointer or two on how to write or writing in general or just ask him about his stories, you could. And it's just, you know, I, there's not a lot of people in the world like that. You know, they were, members of, they were members of what, what, what's called the greatest generation, and they really were. There's something different about that. those people born in the 20s. That's the greatest generation. It really was. Strength Just of character built from the depression. People. Yeah, and, we'll, and fighting in World War II and the yeah. whole thing. Just spectacular generation. Yeah, I I, it's... Oh, go for it, Rob. Oh, go, you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you go for it, Rob. Go for it. All right. I think about the three of them. They went to see King Kong when King Kong first premiered. Yeah. That's pretty amazing, you know. If yeah, if you think about it, that, that it inspired them. All three. And I think Forey had the didn't he have the maquette? Didn't he have the original King Kong for a while? Now Peter Jackson has it. The, the little the scale I, I think so the yeah armature, yeah there's the hair's gone off of it now no yeah I know it's just this little skeleton but it's such an important little skeleton <laughs> still awesome looking even without the fur yeah mm-hmm. you know what it is you definitely know what it is well I think I think I've been given the about a minute and a half left in the show but I wanted to give um, Rachel Wren and Robert um, a last uh, little bit to, to say their farewells to Ray. Oh, goodness. Well, um, what was that now? 
I wanted to give the three of you your la- your chance to say your final farewell to Ray Bradbury. So we're going to go with Robert. Going to miss you, Mr. Bradbury. Uh, what books I have read that you wrote in short stories, I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, my best to your family and all of your friends. And well put, sir. Huh? Well put, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> Rachel? I, um, I, you're going to make me cry, and so I can't do this. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he may not have come from Byzantium, but I hope he's, he is um, there now. Aw. Don't you dare make me cry. <laughs> Rin? <laughs> this is all your fault, Jess. I was just going to say that in in my mind and in my memory, Ray Bradbury and my grandfather are intrinsically linked because my love for my grandfather, you know, uh, brought me to my love for Ray Bradbury and and I have his collection and Bradbury's a big part of that and it's just, it's all one big puddle of love um, (laughs) for lots of reasons. And I just wanted to say... Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to say, sir, wherever you are, wherever you may be, that you have, uh, you may have already had some daughters, but we definitely consider us your children for what you've given us. And um, I wanted to say thank you for that and for all that you shared and for fighting for the word because the word is eternal. And uh, so are you. And with cheers. that, cheers. With that. I want to say thank you to Robert for calling in. We appreciated it. It was great to have you on. Everybody, I enjoyed it. We did. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll, I'm sure we'll be able to fill another show with this because we'll have to have a year in review and everything else throughout. So you'll have plenty of opportunities to join us again, I'm sure. Okay, I will. (laughs) I promise. Cool. Um, with that, everybody, I want to thank you all for joining us. And um, you know what? Go go read a book. Go read a book this weekend in memory of Ray Bradbury because he would have liked that. I truly do believe. And with that, we're wishing you all good night from Fangirl Radio. You're here on this world to enjoy yourself, to be in love, and not to think about it, and not to worry, and not to be unhappy. If you're unhappy, get the hell out of writing that. Go do something else. I have no time for you if you're going to be self-conscious. If you're going to ruin your life with thinking. I want you to make your life with feeling. With feeling. With loving. That's what you're here for. You've been put in the world to love the act. Of being alive. the morning I wake up, I'm not grateful for the gift of life. And so here I am, 86 years old, it hasn't changed a bit. I'm grateful. I never thought I was going to live to be this age. When I was 30 years old, you told me that someday I was going to be 86. I said, Come on, that's impossible. And still have same zest, the same love, the same passion, it's all there.